Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, August 28th. You'll notice right off the bat, this is not the loving tones of James Foster McDonald. He's too busy celebrating his four-set win over Bjorn Fertangelo in New York, so I will be filling in for him tonight. And what a night to fill in. Yesterday, day one of the U.S. Open, felt like we had a ton of great matches, but we really got our bearings underneath us today. Upsets galore on the men's side. Top seeds getting pushed to the brink on the women's side. Next-gen guys floundering left, right. So much action to talk about. It's only fitting that this is my guest for today's mini-break, our former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, our writer, do-it-all at CrackedRackets.com. We affectionately refer to him as Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, welcome back to the Mini Break Pod. What a day of tennis we have to discuss. Oh my goodness, man. I'll tell you what, Gruskin, I am so fired up right now, it's ridiculous. If we thought yesterday was crazy, today was just flat out absurd. I mean, my head is, is about to explode. In fact, right off the bat, Westoff, fireworks, sirens, give me a warning, danger ahead, a sound effect, because you're absolutely right. I mean... Not It's not that every seed fell today, but at one point, you know, on the men's side, team, Tsitsipas, RBA, Kachanov did fall, but Zverev, he's on the brink of losing after being up two sets to love. Kyle Edmund uh, ends up losing a five-set match. Joe Wilfred Songa not seeded, but to go up two sets to love and lose the way he did to Tennis Sandgren in five. Chung Escobedo goes five sets. Just, if you're a proponent of best of five-set tennis, today was the day for you. I literally could not even keep up with it all. Like, I was streaming all these matches, trying to watch as much as I could, but it got to a point where, like, you literally can't watch everything. And there were so many matches on the court. I just, I loved it, man. It was it was phenomenal. And this is what we want for the first couple of days, the first round at the USO, right? I mean, this is this is what we love. Yeah. And again, look, I made I mentioned earlier James Foster busy celebrating his win over Fratangelo. I say that because Jamie McDonald happens to look identical to Jill Simone. If you don't believe me, go Google Denison Men's Tennis 2017. Look at Jamie McDonald on the roster. It's amazing they let Jill Simone qualify and be eligible for NCAA D3 tennis. <laughs> uh, but before we get into the action, he did send a joke my way for you, Maddie, and I'll work this into a pun later. So Westoff, get the bad joke drum sound effect ready. But, you know, we were talking, how are we going to break down today's matches? So many tennis, and we're looking at the names and the men's and the women's side. And on the women's side, you know, we always say there are a lot of ovas, the ones that come to mind. Sharapova, Potapova, Anisimova, you can go on and on and on. Uh, the, the stat he gave me in my question for you, Matt, name the amount of women whose last names end in ova in both the women's singles draw. Uh, or what's your guess? How many? Oof. Ovas. I mean, it seems like there's so many, right, man? I, I'm going to say in the main draw women's, there are 13 players with the name that ends in Ova. Well, I want to say this, Maddie. You are way too kind. Jamie happened to text that stat to both of us accidentally. You happened to know you played your role beautifully there. The answer, 22 in the main draw, 35 in the event in total. That is freaking ridiculous. Ridiculous, man. I mean, th- dare I say it's overwhelming, Westoff? Cue the drum, please. <laughs> Great shot, buddy. Great <laughs> shot. Thank you, mate. Look, again, it's like pod number 13 in five days. Cut me some slack. All I've got left are good puns. But that being said, I am over that stat. Let's talk about the overwhelming amount of upsets today. And, you know, it's funny because, again, as I mentioned, the Four of the top 10 seeds on the men's side fall, but there was a point where Osaka had split sets. There was a point where Halep had split sets. There was a point where Muguruza had already lost to Ali Risk. Of all of those matches, which upset was the most surprising to you? Uh, The most surprising, and I, I mean, this may sound a little odd, I guess, maybe not, but for me, it was really RBA, Roberto Bautista Agut, really? losing to, to Kukushkin. I mean, I guess Dominic Team would be would be right up there with him in the first round. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't have Dominic Team losing. I don't think anybody really did to Thomas Fabiano. 
but he was one of those players that even I warned you about, about Dominic Team. I just, my confidence in him wasn't all that high going into this tournament. RBA to me is a guy that you automatically is like a shoe-in for the second week, right? In, in the round of 16, it seems like he's there every single slam. Kukushkin's a guy that I just, I mean, no disrespect to, to Kukushkin. He's a great player, but RBA just feasts typically on those kind of players. So for me, uh, it, that was a very shocking upset, man. I think that's fair on paper. RBA, the number seven uh, player in the ATP race to London. So, you know, right now he he is in a position to make the World Tour Finals. His slam results this year, the best of his career. Quarterfinals at the Australian Open. Third round French Open, not the best he's ever done, but still solid. Semifinals of Wimbledon. Now for him to win a first round here. You know, that you're right. That might have been on paper the single most shocking result. And it's funny because as a fellow kin, you know, we just talked about the Ovas, Kukushkin, Gruskin. I got a root for him. Um, but it was so overwhelming. It was hard really to follow every match of the top 10 seeded players that were upset. This RBA's match was probably the one I saw the least of. But it was really funny because am I crazy for thinking Kukushkin and RBA, maybe not the same ball, but aesthetically, the way they hit their forehands, their backhands, in particular, their backhand slices, it was like watching a mirror play against a mirror. Yeah, that's funny. That's actually really funny that you bring that up. They do look almost identical on the court when it comes to their strokes. They have that kind of right? funky forehand, that that real like flat Ooh, and the just huge backswing yeah. that like yeah, it turns flat exactly. Yeah, it's it, that is that is a great uh, great call there, man. And and you know what? RBA, it's just, he's one of those guys, I just, I, I automatically, it's like when the draw comes out, I just, I have him like in the fourth round, and, and for him to go out was definitely a shock, but he wasn't the only one, I mean, let's be honest, there were others. Yeah, I mean, look, you say, hey, great shot, those are the type of great shots, this is why we're part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and by the way, for our listeners who have missed any of our content during this launch, be sure to go check that out, interviews with Steve Johnson, Vicky Duvall, Katie Volley, that's all, Mitchell Kruger coming out soon, all players who played in U.S. Open qualifying or not, go check that out, a little plug for you there, but yeah, in terms of this one, I mean, it, you know, we're going to do a match breakdown of Tsitsipas, Rublev, and maybe a couple of others, but because there were so many upsets, just kind of want to touch on all of them. I mean, Kukushkin played, you know, solid tennis, 60, makes 64% of his first serves, uh, 16 of 27 on the net, a very efficient 7 of 10 in terms of converting break points versus RBA, who goes 5 of 10. But you look, total points, 136 for RBA, 135 for Kukushkin. This was an either-or match. Yeah, definitely was. And I just, in those types of situations, you know, going into that fifth set, I, I would have put all my money on RBA. You know, that's because in those types of situations, he usually thrives against, you know, I don't want to say lesser opponents, but that's basically what it is here. Just a first round type opponent. And so, yeah, man, I mean, credit to Kukushkin. Now he takes out the 10 seed. And, you know, once once you do that, you get a pretty good draw going forward. So, um Absolutely. We'll talk about how, yeah, we'll talk about how open this bottom half of the draw is now because not only did four of the top 10 seeds lose, but they all lost in that same bottom half of the draw. So who's going to make the quarterfinals, semifinals there? Hell if I know, and it's going to be fun to watch throughout the week. But you mentioned maybe the biggest upset, number four seed Dominic team losing to Thomas Fabiano, 6-4-3-6-6-3-6-2. Uh, look, for Dominic team today, I think the thing that was most concerning, Matt, and you hate, I, you know, no fan and no player especially likes when the media projects motives onto players. You never, you know, he's dogging it, he's not trying, he's tanking, he's treeing, all of these superficial things that you can't really say. You know, we're not Dominic team. But given that, you know, he struggled in his loss to Daniil Medvedev in Montreal, physically, mentally, he just did not look like he wanted to be there. He pulls out of Cincinnati, citing injury, citing sickness, you know, needs some time to recover, which, given how much tennis he's played over the past four or five years, dare I say he's the Andrew Luck in terms of he must just body-wise feel worn down right now at this point. But it really felt like today he just he never found a rhythm. He at no point was he in control against Fabiano. And then Fabiano took it. It was really this match was on Fabiano's racket the whole time. Yeah, which is weird, right? I mean, that's something that I never thought I'd hear you say. But this just wasn't the Dominic team that we 
we're used to. I mean, we are we're so accustomed to him fighting and grinding out points. Now, I know he hits the ball big, bigger than arguably anybody on tour in terms of like MPHs, but he he finds ways to grind out matches and if he needs to play long rallies, he can do it. That's why he's so good on clay. He just wasn't there today, man. He he just wasn't. I mean, the eye test, you know, I, obviously I haven't talked to him about it and, you know, I don't know exactly how he addressed it, you know, in the media after the match, but the bottom line is we watched it, right? We, we know what went on out there and he just mentally, he was not in this match the way that he needed to be in a, in a grand slam. Yeah, it, it was shocking to see and you look for him. It was the little things, right? He only makes 58% of his first serves. He only wins 48% of his second serves. He goes 1 of 10 versus 4 of 8 for Fabiano on break points. And again, you talk about the eye test. Dominic team, I think, had, when it was 3-5, Fabiano serving for the set, he must have had four break chances to get back in that third set. And, you know, if you can win the third set after splitting sets in a best-of-five format, that's the decisive set so often because of how physically difficult the 3 out of 5 uh, set format is. But just like on two of the break points, he hit miscellaneous, I'm outside the alley, I'm in control of the point, but I'm just going to try and hit a random drop shot. And like Dominic Team, who wins Indian Wells, who has the discipline to make the finals on clay at the, you know, at the French, where on clay is when you need your most disciplined, he just doesn't do, you know, he doesn't lose focus. He doesn't hit drop shots. He's going to swing you off the court. He's going to hit the ball through you. And 41 winners against 48 unforced errors, when Fabiano only has 29 winners to 20 unforced stairs. What that shows is Fabiano was very clear. If I can, you know, just keep the ball in play, keep attacking the team backhand in particular, he was going to give it to him today. And on this day, team did, I, you know, no disrespect to Fabiano who play it. You have to play a certain level to beat Dominic team or just win any three out of five set match. Yep. But Dominic team didn't have it today. Yep. No question about it. I think everybody that watched that match will understand that. And, you know, it's disappointing, but I tried to tell you, Gruskin, I mean, my confidence in Dominic Team <laughs> coming into this tournament was not all that high. I Now, of course, I didn't have him losing in the first round. I didn't think that was going to happen. But, you know, I just, I wasn't confident that he could make a super deep run here. And, you know, it just, it happens to be that he's, he's out in the first round, which is a, a little bit shocking. But it is what it is. Yeah, look, I'm over it. Uh, ha, ha, ha. Hey, great shot. Um, but it, one match that I am not over, because this was a guy I did not expect a loss from uh, this early in the tournament, a guy who, if you look at the, you know, he's still a top 19 coming into it, but now that we've played four slams, you compare his results this season to last season, uh, you know, definitely a step backwards in his developmental curve. Number nine seed, Karen Kachanov, who loses today 4-6, 7-5, 7-5, 4-6, 6-3 to the Canadian Vashik Pospisil, obviously a former uh, Wimbledon doubles champion with Jack Sock. Pospisil guy who has dealt with a lot of injuries over these past two years. Now, we chatted a little bit before this, Matt, and I know you would make the case that this result was less about what Kachanov did and more about what Pospisil did right, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Vasek Pospisil deserves a lot of credit for his performance, man. I mean, this is a guy that we have just not seen at this level in quite some time. I mean, it seems like it's been years, and obviously he's a former, you know, top 30 player in the world. But we haven't seen this level from him in a while, and I don't think I watched a good bit of this match. Hatchinov obviously didn't didn't play his best. I mean, there's no question about it. He had opportunities that he didn't take advantage of, and I'm sure he'll be disappointed in that. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of that has to do with how well Pospisil played. I really do. It was a match that when I saw the draw come out, I thought, oh, that's a perfect draw for Hatchinoff. I mean, a guy, Pospisil, you know, isn't going to really test him. That should be three, four sets at the most. But this level from Vasek Pospisil, I wasn't expecting. So, you know, obviously it's a shocking result, but at the same time, I think Pospisil deserves a lot of the credit as opposed to, you know, us maybe bashing Hatchinov just saying, yeah, he, he sucked, you know? So I, I appreciate your perspective. I really do. And uh, you're right. Too often media, it's easy to bash the guy who loses as opposed to praising the guy who wins in one of these upset scenarios. And Vashik Pospisil did a lot right in this match. He won 77% of his first serve points, a very efficient four of six on break points, 27 of 22 at the net. 
But for Karen Kachanov, I mean, seven aces against 10 double faults, that's not him. Only a 53% first serve percentage, that's not him. 37 winners against 38 unforced errors when you're playing a guy in Pospisil who you know doesn't match your strength from the ground. Uh, Who you know if you make this a physical match, make this a match about how much can you grind at the baseline, can you grind down the Pospisil backhand, force him to cheat over so much to hit forehands that he leaves the cross court for you wide open. And there were times when Kachanov did that with success. And again, total points won, he gets 164 to Pospisil's 156. So certainly given there were no lopsided sets in this match, he put himself in position many times to win. Uh, But he just didn't execute well in the big points today. And I know he's going to be kicking himself because not only did he win more total points, but just so many chances that even though he goes 18 of 22 at the net, it felt like he was too passive in this match. And what we keep learning from these next-gen guys is when they have success, the, the key example, I'll circle because it was you know so obvious, Medvedev beats Djokovic in Cincinnati because he goes for it, right? Balls to the wall. I'm hitting big second serves. I'm going for my shots down the line. I really don't give a f- if I miss. And Kachanov today... He played tentative, and I think we'll talk about it with Alex Virev too, but a lot of these next-gen guys still play too often not to lose as opposed to playing to win. And given what we saw from Kachanov last year at the slams and winning Paris, I just didn't expect that from him in this first round. I really thought, you know, after they split, when he lost the second set, I was surprised. When he lost the third, I was shocked. And that he lost the fifth, I'm beside myself. Yeah, it's fair, man. All the points that you made there are definitely fair. And and look, this match in the fifth set, it was on serve. You know, two serving three, Hatchinov was serving, and, and Pospisil played a couple of good points, snuck out that break to go up 4-2, and that was all she wrote. You know, that was the end of it. It really was, it, it came down to a couple of points. It was a very tight match. Um, but, you know, you know a guy that that doesn't, play not to lose and is one of these next gen guys this could be a good little segue here Andre Rublev Uh. man I mean you want to talk about a next gen guy that plays to win matches it's Andre Rublev yeah. All right. Westoff, give me a bell because Maddie, that you're dangerously close to having to host one of these episodes with transitions like that. Um, yeah, that's the last match of the top ten upsets I wanted to talk about, and the one I I think you and I are going to do the biggest deep dive on because when this match was going, I think their third set tiebreaker was playing simultaneously with the second set breaker of Naomi Osaka, but across the grounds, as I mentioned, that Simone for Tangelo match, it had my attention. I was locked in. Muguruza Risk still playing. Uh, there were just so many close matches on the grounds, and yet tennis Twitter as a whole, because both of these players are uh, former top-ranked juniors in the world, because both of these players are, you know, circle, they both have wins over Roger Federer this season. How many players can say that? Uh, this was billed as a must-see matchup, one we hyped in all of our previews. And then the way it was played out, Andre Rublev getting a 6-4-6-7-7-6-7-5 win. I think people might have been able to see that coming, or at least that's not going to shock them. But Matt, just the way this match played out, I don't even know how to where to begin. Yeah, I was completely dialed into this one, man. I mean, I know at the time there were so many other matches going on, but I wasn't going to stop watching this match. This was my, my one that I had circled on the day, and it definitely delivered. You know, I know we're going to get into the stats and all that, but even before that here, I just want to say that I just... The enjoyment that I got out of watching I these know, two guys, it just... It was there, man. I I don't know what it is, but I am so happy that we're going to see these guys for the next however many years on tour having battles like this because it was just – it was amazing to watch. And the amount of fun that I had watching these two on the court, it was just – it was right up there with with anything. I want to add on to that because I agree there's – parts of there's a non-tennis component to this and look they play four sets over the course of four hours that's always going to be thrilling I I said it at the top anyone who argues best of five over best of three today was your day you you know when you're making your evidence at the court you know the tennis court of law or whatever tennis twitter court you're gonna say U.S. Open day two 2019 all in and like that's that's a good argument but there is something to the idea not only does Tsitsipas come in this and Rublev, they're both, what, 21, 22 years old at the end of this year. Um, 
They both next-gen guys, who, as I mentioned, have the junior pedigree, but they've also both made Grand Slam quarterfinals. When you know in the next-gen crew, that's elite territory. So that's another thing coming into this. But there was something to two next-gen guys playing a first-round match at a slam, and not only showing this level of tennis, but as fans, it felt much more believable. It didn't feel like a fluke. It felt like okay, we saw Tsitsipas all year long have success. We saw Rublev get healthy, earn his stripes at Cincinnati coming through qualifying, knocking out Federer, and it just felt more real, more sustainable than ever before, and there's something about that that is so exciting as a tennis fan that it's like, okay, the big, you know, the big three plus Murray, and I would say big four, but just for the vernacular sake, they are going to go away at some point, and if this is a sneak peek, I'm all in. Like this, Kyrgios Medvedev from City Open, I'm all in. Yes, completely agree 100%. I mean, it's a shame that this had to be a first-round match, right? I mean, this was the quality, and it's going to be the quality of Grand Slam quarterfinals, semifinals, right? I mean, that's what we're going to see, and and I wouldn't be shocked if, if, you know, within the next couple of years, these two are playing for Grand Slam titles in much later rounds than the first round. I mean, it, it's a crime that they had to match up in, in this first round, but yeah, man, I mean, wow, just... What a battle. And, you know, let's get into the stats a little bit if you want to. I mean... They reflect the battle, I think, so accurately. Tsitsipas, 20 aces against 7 double faults, 65 winners against 81 unforced errors. But if you watch the match, you know he was dealing with physical ailments towards the end of the third and then for most of the fourth. Yep. felt like he could move fine, but his legs, you could tell, definitely a little springy, especially with the first serve. Uh, so he had to take chances. He had to make points short. You also look at the net points for Tsitsipas, 33 of 48, 69%. So his strategy clear, be aggressive, take the own it. Don't let Andre just slug forehands away from the baseline. And physical ailments aside, I thought that was the right game plan for Tsitsipas. But for Rublev, man, 51 winners against 47 unforced errors. Given the pace that this match was played at, yep. I mean, I, I can't believe he didn't miss more. Like, his forehand cross court, doesn't matter how hard you hit at it, he's going to hit the ball back harder uh, back at that wing, and it's just, it's special. Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy that, that, like you mentioned, he made as few unforced errors as he did, and, and Rublev is just, he's one of those guys that we're going to have to understand. His game is very risk-reward. I mean, he's going to go for his shots. There's no question he loves to rip that ball, and, you know, when he's on, he is on, and it's so tough to play him. Sitsipas, I think when he actually won that second set, he did a better job of becoming aggressive and trying mm-hmm. to really take it to Andre Rublev because he knew after that first set, okay, Rublev's on here. He's taking it to me. He's being aggressive. He's up on that baseline. Stefanos was doing more running in that first set. I think he did a great job in that second set to kind of turn the tide just a little bit and push Andre around the court a little bit more, and he ended up sneaking it out in a breaker. But man, I mean, all these sets were really so close. The margin of error was just razor, razor tight, and oh, I I just, I can't talk enough about it, man. I, I I would watch these two play over and over again if I could. It's interesting you say that second set was the one where he really started putting the pressure because I thought it was in the third. I thought Tsitsipas escaped with that second set. He did not play well enough to win the set. You look at the stats in that set, uh, it kind of reflects that Rublev dominant on serves, makes 62%, 70% of the first serve points he wins, 57% of the second serve points he wins in that set. Total distance covered, Tsitsipas averaging 45.5 feet per point in that second set, 44.1 in the second for Rublev. But then you look at the stats, it was really in the third where it flipped. Uh, first set for Tsitsipas, 5 of 8 at the net. Second set, 3 of 6 at the net. Third set, 20 of 24 at the net. And I believe it was 7-all in the third set tiebreak. Tsitsipas had a backhand down the line volley yep. to uh, to get the match point on his serve. Or not the match point, sorry, the set point on his serve. Yep. And he missed it in the net. And when you're cramping or physically hurt at all or worn down as Tsitsipas in the press conference shared with everyone. Look, it's hard for him right now. He's played so much. The motivation is zapped. And I feel like that's a topic for another time, given how many matches we have. But it's it's understandable why it would be for Tsitsipas. But again, you're tied after two sets, best of five set format. You win that third set. Given that physically he wasn't great, 
but he was fine. He could play the duration and of a fourth set and get to 7-5. You have to wonder if, you know, the margin in this match was literally as thin as Tsitsipas makes that backhand volley, whole new match. Yep. I, I mean, that, when he missed that, I just thought to myself, oh, uh, that that could be it right there. Mm-hmm. I mean that I just you knew that was the kind of point that was like uh that that's probably the end of it. You know, it, it very well could be, but you know, honestly Rublev was up 5-4 serving uh in that fourth set as well. He could have closed it out 6-4. He double faulted like twice. Sitsipas hit one good forehand winner and then Rublev made like a brutal backhand error. He kind of donated his serve like he got broken at love at that 5-4 game in the fourth. So, um, you know, he let Sitsipas in it there a little bit. But I think we have to talk a little bit about, it's only fair, Stefano Sitsipas with, you know, all the matches that he's played this year and everything. I think, you know, we saw his physical ailments. Yes, he was definitely feeling it physically, but... I think mentally, man, more than anything, he's just at this point in the in the season, he is mentally fatigued more than anything, don't you think? Yeah, it's well. Again, this is what we didn't do to catch him. You did the opposite for Pospisil, right? It's like pump up Pospisil because he won the match. Don't trash on Kachanov because he lost. And we did that a little bit. I want to emphasize again, Andre Rublev, the power he's able to produce from the baseline, special. And look, in terms of his serve stats in this match, uh, overall, he is he uh, yeah. only fa- he faces 13 break points. He saves 10 of them. He creates 20 break point opportunities for himself. He converts five of them. So both of these guys, obviously, a ton of chances on each other serve throughout the match. But for Rublev, a 113 on the first serve. He's averaging 82 miles per hour on the second serve that he was able to fight off that many break points. Probably had a little bit to do with Tsitsipas being worn down, as you mentioned, but you know he was relentless. He was afraid to come to the net, and it's funny because he was 14 of 17 on net points, but he really probably should have been 30 of 35, right. and he let about 18 opportunities fly by, uh, but that he still had that sort of, I guess, tentativeness and was able to produce what? 51 winners, uh, maybe 38 of them on the forehand side. He's a special talent. Um, oh, but, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not saying you weren't saying that, but I, I just wanted to preface that with, yes, you you have to wonder with Stefano Tsitsipas, did he play too much this season? Is all of the wear and tear of a full year of expectations of being a top player since he made that quarterfinal in Australia, finally or semifinal, finally getting to him? Right. And the answer is... And I think he even answered it in the press conference. Yes, yep. it is. Yeah. I mean, like like you said, man, he, he answered that question. And it is. And, you know, he's so young. He's 21, man, or whatever he is. I, I'm not worried about it. It's just, you know, I, I really, I'm, I'm actually not worried about it at all. I mean, the rest, I don't even care what happens the rest of 2019. Sitsipas has, has shown me everything that he's needed to. I like his game. Mentally, I think overall he's super strong. I mean, he fights out there. Look, the guy was physically, he was hurting in that match today. And I mean, he stuck around, like you mentioned, to get that, you know, 7-5 in the fourth. He did well. Um, But yeah, it's a long season. He's not used to playing this much at this level throughout his career. He just, he hasn't done it. He's too young. So um, I think it's a good learning experience for him, and like I said, I'm not worried about him. This It's not a red flag going forward. He's going to be fine. He'll probably end the year, you know, on a high note as well. So it's just, it's a little blip. That's all. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and uh, again, I, I just want to emphasize, he has done so much well in 2019. For him to be, you know, I think you'd argue... Djokovic, Nadal, Federer have been the three best, but then probably him and Medvedev, number four or five in some order, depending on how you want to rank things in terms of best players this season. Keep that in mind when assessing this match is the context of what he's done overall. Don't dump on him just because he happened to lose first round of Wimbledon and then first round of... Actually, did Fabiano beat Tsitsipas in the first round of Wimbledon? Am I crazy? We'll look that up in a little bit. Hold that thought, Matt. Uh, because, again, that the, the upsets galore on the men's side. Again, Rublev, Tsitsipas uh, really was the, the match that had everyone's eyes. So that's why we wanted to do a big breakdown on that. But I want to flip uh, to the women's side because although none of the top seeds fell, although I should say Sloane Stephens playing right now as we're recording this, lost the first set 6-3 
up to one on serve, and you know, if there's an upset there, maybe we'll record something on the front end. But the match I want to start with on the women's side, number one seed Naomi Osaka. She goes three sets in her match today against Blakova, end up and ends up winning the match. Uh, I believe six four, six seven, six two. Uh, but we talked yesterday about Ashley Barty, who lost her first set and, you know, struggled in her first match. For me, although Osaka lost that second set, I thought the level from her today was outstanding. I thought Blinkova just happened to play really, really well in those first two sets and was able to push Osaka to that tiebreaker because, you know, she was tracking so many balls down. But that she lost the third set 6-2... It shows me Osaka was able to break her down, and again, the power, the brand of power tennis she can play on a hard court. If you don't think it's special, I don't know what you're watching. Yeah, no, oh yeah, I mean, there's no question. Osaka is, I mean, supremely talented. We're talking about a, a Grand Slam champion here, so um, no question about it. it. It was a tough, you know, tough match for her, again, like Ash Barty. You know, to see the top two seeds have to struggle a bit in their first rounds, it's interesting. I mean, we don't often see that. A lot of times you just see blowout first rounds, especially for the top couple of seeds. Uh, so, I mean, this this could be a good thing, possibly, for those two players. I just think in the beginning of that match, um, you know, Osaka was just making too many unforced errors. I mean, Blinkova was just a little more solid, and we know Osaka you know, at times can go off the rails a little bit. Her unforced errors can kind of spiral. And, you know, once she makes a couple, they they come in bunches. But I think she was able to rein it in. You know, obviously in that third third set, she played pretty clean. And, uh, it, you know, again, like we mentioned this yesterday, it's the type of match that you need to get through if you want to make a super deep run and possibly win the thing. So, you know, we'll see where she goes from here. Look, in her second round, she's got Lynette, who won a title last week. Uh, so she's certainly playing someone coming in in great form. But again, you look at Osaka in this match, What she, the things she does well. Uh, makes only 57% of her first serve points, but wins 68% of them. More importantly, creates eight break chances for his, herself and converts five of them. You know, if Kachnov, if team had that sort of efficiency, maybe they end up winning today. By the way, I went and checked it out on Google. Fabiano did beat Tsitsipas in the first round of Wimbledon. That's why. I was like, Fabiano beat someone big before. It wasn't just Opelka. It was Tsitsipas. So, yeah. you know, random thought for the listeners. But when you get back to it, and look, Naomi Osaka, I just thought the thing she did best was weather the storm. I thought Blinkova played so outstanding in the second set, just running things down. And look, for Blinkova on the match, 15 to 22 winner to unforced error ratio, but she goes eight against seven uh, in that second set. And again, you look at the context of the match in total, that's much better. She wins 58% of her first serve points total in the match. I'm talking Blinkova, 60% of her second serve points total. That's a little high. Uh, but you look in that second set, 18 of 26 on the first serve, 10 of 13 on the second second serve I mean only you know she creates one of uh, seven break chances for herself gets one versus Osaka's two break chances who also only converted one I thought Blinkova really tested Osaka and I thought she did a really good job Osaka more of a slice than kick based serve Blinkova really did a good job sitting on the slice out wide on the do side down the t on the ad but man I just I don't get how Naomi Osaka can have such a big backswing on her forehand and still generate enough racket speed and enough pace to just crush balls cross-court the way she can. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, she can do that. She's got all the shots, man. I mean, that's the thing. She, Her ability is, you know, potential is through the roof. I just... What I worry about with her sometimes is just mentally, you know, we've seen her be a bit fragile at times mentally, um, and, and like I mentioned, those her unforced errors can just – they can snowball a little bit. So I, I think obviously she's going to have to clean that up. You know, going forward, if she wants to go deep, she'll have to clean that up. But if she can, I mean obviously she's a major contender. I mean I wouldn't be shocked if she won the thing. You know, she has that ability. So um, I think it's just a matter of her getting through this tough early match, putting it in the past, and, and just – you know, cranking her game up a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, that's why I'm so encouraged by this result is because 
you know, she struggled with adversity, and unlike a Kachanov, unlike a team, unlike a Tsitsipas, she weathered the storm. She yeah. played her best set in that third set, winning a 6-2 set, and that's the sort of dominance you need to display if you want to live up to having a number one seed next to your name. So again, very good result from her. Uh, you look at, you know, sort of the rest of the results, and again, because we spent so much time talking about the updates, we're only going to kind of brief uh, through these. Let's start on the women's side because, you know, again, a lot of top seeds got tested. Simona Halep, 6'3", 3'6", 6'2", over Nicole Gibbs. Nicole Gibbs always is going to put that extra ball back in play. And, you know, in that second set, she did a really good job frustrating Halep, drawing her into unforced errors. But in the end, you know, again, for Simona, you got to get a little calloused before you're going to get to the final. And that's certainly, you know, Gibbs couldn't hurt her enough to win the match. But, you know, Halep, it's a wake-up call. Oh, yeah. No question about it, man. It's definitely a wake-up call. I'm telling you, these top seeds are all, it seems like everybody's getting a wake-up call. Whether it's, you know, in one of their own matches or just looking around on the grounds and seeing what's going on out there, everybody's getting a wake-up call in both the men's and women's draws right now. So, I mean, I think it's shaping up to be an awesome tournament for Halep. It's interesting you say that, though, because on the women's side, some of the other seeds I wanted to mention, perhaps my two most impressive performers on the day, or maybe my three, at least for the women's draw, Petra Kvitova, 2-4 over Alertova. Kiki Bertens, who again won Cincinnati last year, loses first round this year to Venus. That sucks. Uh, but she gets a 6 4 6 2 win to sort of right in the path. And then Belinda Bencic, my pick to win this tournament, 6 3 6 2 over Manella. So while those top four seeds failed, you know, 7 through 13, they all know what we've seen in the WTA. We've all said it. It's wide open for them. So I was really encouraged, especially from Kavitova, who's, again, I think she tweeted after jokingly she won her first match ever with a sleeve. I'm just I'm really encouraged by this level because as you mentioned it means we're going to have a wide open second week of tennis I think so man and if you go down a little bit further you know some some ladies that we know are are proven like a Caroline Wozniacki for example you know she goes three sets today well Uh, I thought she was going to lose today it was that was a heart that was a thriller that's what I'm saying man uh Garbina Muguruza you know, goes down today. Um, I'm telling you, like, it's it's crazy. Sloan right now, I, there's there's a lot of, you know, interesting results. I think everybody should be on notice, you know, at, at this point, man, anybody can win. That's just what it looks like, right? I mean, literally any match, you go out there, it seems like anybody at this time can, can, can take it. Yeah, and it's half the fun. And again, looking through the rest of these draws, uh, the rest of the results today, a little out of order, but bear with me. You mentioned that risk match. Just want to say a 2 6 6 one 6 3 win for her over Muguruza. Not necessarily an upset, given the level we've seen from the two of them, but noteworthy. Risk, yeah, hugely encouraging win for her. Uh, another big winner today, Coco Goff, 3-6-6-2-6-4 over Potapova. I did not get the chance to see that one, but Matt, I believe you did. How did Coco look today? It was, it, she had her ups and downs, let's put it that way. There were times where she looked really good, and then there were some times where it's like, ooh, you know, you saw the 15-year-old in her a little bit, but at the end of the day, she pulled it out, man. I mean, that's all that matters. And and I was very happy to see her get through. The crowd really helped her a lot. She she went out of her way to thank the crowd at the end of it. And I mean, obviously, once again, I saw the potential that she has. All the shots, the movement, the serve, it was all on display. It just, you know, it came and went a little bit, but she got through it. So it is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you you look at some of the upsets. Another one, number 31 seed, Barbara Striskova, goes down to Balsova in three sets, 6-3-0-6-6-1. Not seeded, but certainly an upset in a lot of people's mind. The former Stanford player, Christiane, 7-5-6-2 over Svetlana Kuznetsova, who obviously played so well in Toronto and Cincinnati in the run-up to this tournament. So great win for Christiane. Uh, you move through the rest of the seeds, Bianca Andrescu, the number 15 seed, 6-2-6-4 over San Diego, girls 18 champion Katie Volleynets, who of course was kind enough to come on the Cracked Interviews podcast and I promise you even though she lost this match the young soon-to-be 18-year-old is a talent you do not want to miss out on so go give that interview a listen a number the, the number 26 seed gorgeous a winner 166176 uh, Putin Seva a winner in straights Petkovic a winner Babos Christina Pliskova Ostapenko 6376 number 21 seed Kontave a 6161 winner Cornet 
over Pagula, Flipkins over Wang, Kanepi a winner, uh, number 25 seed Mertens a winner, Danielle Collins wins in three sets, Vekic in straight sets, Kirstea in straights, Pavel Chankovo a winner, Tomjanovic in three, the Ohio State player Francesco DiLorenzo a winner in straight sets, Lynette as I mentioned, she wins her match as well, and then the last one I gotta mention Matt, Taylor Townsend, a personal favorite of mine as many of our listeners know, 3-6-6-3-6-2 over Kozlova. You know, a slew of results there. Unlike Jamie, I have to read them all. I just feel obliged. It's Grand Slam time. Got to mention all 32. And as we mentioned, Sloan Stevens still on court right now. An update. She is up 3-2 in the second set after losing. Currently has break point as well. But Let me give you one more Gruskin here. Uh, You you may have mentioned it. You may not have. But Arena Sabalenka, one of my favorite players on tour. Was still ongoing. Did that finish? That finished. She beat... Uh, uh, Vika. So really, she oh, did. I see yep. it from me now. Three six six three six four for Sabalenka. There you go. Both of those players, I believe, from Belarus. So or to see this sort of result uh, for Sabalenka, who just the strangest of losses in Cincinnati to Sakari, given how well she was playing at the end of last year, hasn't played that great this season. Huge win for her to write in this track. But I guess my big question for you is, through one round of this uh, U.S. Open, is anything clearer for you on the women's side? Ooh, I don't, I don't think so, man. I, mean, I agree. You know, especially with the one and two seeds having to fight just to get through the first round, I don't think anything is clear at this point at all. Other than, I will say, if Serena Williams plays the way that she did yesterday, uh, you know, or on Monday, then she will win the tournament. If she can sustain that level and play the rest of her matches like that, there is no doubt in my mind Serena will win the tournament. The question is, can she keep that level up? I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what, that seems like it's been the question for the past, what, 16 Grand Slams on the women's side? It's like, can Serena do it? If not, is it going to be Halep? Maybe. She's probably been the surest thing other than Serena, given that she's got two. Uh, But yeah, I, I would agree with that assessment. I would say one round later, we still don't really know that much about the women's side. Um, But... With that being said, let's talk about the men's side real quick. We talked about all of the upsets, obviously, already, but a player who was on the precipice of upset, the other match I want to briefly talk about with you, number six seed Alex Virev, who, I'm going to be honest, probably deserved to lose his 6-1-6-3-3-6-4-6-6-2 win over Redu Elbot. That being said, and I think it was Luke Jensen who was on the play-by-play for this match, at least on ESPN+, Plus, and Luke Jensen, if you're interested in him, the former double superstar. Go check out our interview with him on the Cracked Interviews podcast when he was uh, coaching the New York Empire of World Team Tennis. But he made this point that by the fifth set, Zverev had really grinded Radu Elbot down. And I have to say, with that added perspective, am I happy with how Zverev's played in sets three and four? No. But it was kind of a positive to see him the more fit, more firm player come set number five. And I guess my question to you, is that more a product of his opponent or more a product of maybe Alex Virov took a step? Oh, yeah, that's a tough call. I mean, here's the thing. Yes, you're correct. I mean, it was good to see him wear an opponent down in a fifth set at a major. I mean, we don't often see that. It's usually the other way around. However... This still is not the way that I want to see Alex Vera play tennis at these tournaments. I just, I don't, I'm sorry. When I'm watching this and I see Radu Albot, who's about 5'8", and he's playing more aggressively. He's up on that baseline trying to push Zverev around a little bit, you know, work his shots, cross courts, down the lines, mixing it up. That just to me is not okay. I I just, I, I, I don't like to see that, man. And I know, I know he got away with this one, and he pulled it out in the fifth. But to me, man, Gruskin, it just does not bode well for for the future, for the rest of this tournament. I've said it many times. If he refuses to take that step and play aggressively and play the way that we know he can, move forward, take take it to his opponents. I just, I think he's always going to be you know, looking in the rearview mirror a little bit. And I just, I can't say that I'm completely pleased with this performance. Yes, he got away with it, but I, I don't love it, man. Yeah. 
That's fair. That seems to be the theme is can these seeds get away with these first-round performances? But for Zverev, look, in a five-set match, eight double faults, is that okay by you? Given where he was in Cincy, that's a jump, right? That's improvement. One double fault to set, a little more— you can get away with that. Like that's that's not horrible, especially when you have nine aces to back it up. He wins si- or makes sixty six percent of his first serves for a guy struggling on the serve. That's a good number. You know he wins seventy percent of his first serve points, only forty eight percent of his second, which obviously not good. But he won twenty six or Redu Elbot only won twenty six of the sixty seven second serve points he played for thirty nine percent. Zverev creates nineteen break chances for himself, converts nine of them, which you know, inefficient, but you have 19 and you convert nine of them. Not too bad as far as I'm concerned. Uh, he came to the net 32 times, won 21 of them. He still gets a little reckless, but for me, the big thing, you know, 13,277 feet for Elbot versus 12,724. Elbot's moving a four, two feet, a full two feet more per point. No, the, it was an ugly. It was an ugly process. I or maybe it was an ugly product. But the process from Zverev, the way he attacked this match, I really didn't dislike it. I get this is the first match I've watched him, and this is uh, you know a terrible standard. But this was the first match in a while where I watched, and I was like, oh yeah, that's why I love Alex Zverev. The backhand, just the effortless power, the movement for his size. There was enough of that in this match that I actually felt good for once. Mm. See, I I don't know if I can go that far, man. I, I don't know. I just, I, like I said, I watched a good bit of this match, and I was still scratching my head a little bit. I wanted I wanted to see more, especially against a guy like Albot, who, I mean, let's be honest, he's had a great year. He's I think had the best year of his professional career, but it, it doesn't matter. Zverev is a top ten player, former can top I say, though, five player. I watched Albot. I watched Elbot take it to Chilich at Cincinnati. So you are right on, just to echo your point, Elbot played well in this match. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and there's no doubt about it. Um, he deserves some credit for the way that he hung in there, you know, especially after those first two sets and continued to battle. I just thought after that fourth set, I was like, oh no, here we go again. Mentally, Zverev's <laughs> going to blow it. I was just, I was so worried, man. I was just so worried. So... I am happy that that he was able to pull that out because I think that is a step in the right direction. But overall, if we're talking about his game and the way that he approached the match, I didn't love it. Yeah, I I get that. The guy I was not in love with performance-wise today, FAA, Felix Ogier-Alassim, who, while Denis Shapovalov played extremely well in Winston-Salem and given how poorly he's played, he's well relatively rested coming into this slam. But I did not expect the 6-1-6-1-6-4 beatdown that he put on FAA today. I don't think anybody did, but man, I'm convinced this is all mental. I mean, Felix, mm-hmm. I watched it. He looked fine physically. He wasn't ailing anyway. Um, I think it's mental. I think he really struggles when he sees his good friend, Denis Shapovalov on the other side of the net. It's just, I don't know what it is. Remember, Gruskin, these two played at the U.S. Open last year. And, and, you know, Shapovalov won that match. I know Felix, I think, had to retire in maybe the second or third set of that match. But I just, I was, obviously, I think we were all expecting a lot more from him. Um, It's disappointing. He was the seeded player. But I just, for me, I just, I believe it's 100% mental in this. Like, I can't even really, I don't want to pick apart his physical game because I don't think that's the reason that he lost whatsoever. I think it was all between the ears. Yeah. Again, fourth or maybe third career Grand Slam main draw for FA, so we all need to take a breath in terms of this is no need for a rapid fire or rapid take of, oh, is FAA falling apart? The kid's 18, 19 years old. Right. But yeah, he, he just wasn't ready for this one. And that happens. That's part of being a young tennis player, but Shapo took it to him. And by the way, we've been doing this all pod. Credit to Denis Shapovalov, who is playing his best tennis now in this U.S. Open and, you know, uh, two weeks ago, neither of us would have said that. So it's a real credit to him. Mikhail Yuzny in the box now as part of his team. Quick turnaround for the young Canadian to try and salvage what's left of this season. It would not shock me if he continues this level to see him play what would be, I think, the last next-gen finals he's eligible in Italy. I would like to see him continue to play through that because if this is his level down the home stretch, play as much as you can. 
Yeah, for sure. And hardcore tennis, man, I mean, this is really, for, for Shapovalov, this is the time of year that I always feel like he can excel. You know, when we get, you know, the Canada uh, Masters, the Rogers Cup, and, you know, going into the U.S. Open, he's had success there before. To me, when I think of Denis Shapovalov as a tennis player, I, I think of him at this tournament, at the U.S. Open. In this U.S. Open hardcourt swing is when he seems to play his best throughout the years. Uh, so, you know, hopefully he can he can crank it up here. Yeah, uh, it's going to be fun to watch because, as we've mentioned, that bottom half of the draw, wide open, and we'll talk about that a little bit at the end, but just to coast through the rest of these results. And I know we got to talk about a few of them, so, you know, if you have some thoughts, please, Maddie, just jump in. Francis Tiafo, 6-2, retirement victory over Ivo Karlovich. I don't think anyone's shocked by that at this point. John Isner, the 14th seed, 3-4-4 four, four winner. Uh, good for him to get that under his belt. Marin Cilic, 6-3, Huge win for him. Monfils a winner in straight sets. I didn't mention this at the top. Nadal, demolition tonight of John Millman. He, another one of those top three seeds, looking great uh, thus far. I mentioned the Monfils win. Kyle Edmund, a five-set loser today. I know you watched a lot of that one, Maddie, and you know my preconceived affection for Kyle Edmund. So real quick, any thoughts on that? I mean, my my lasting impression of that match, Gruskin, is it was just an all-out war. I mean, I think these guys played, I, I can't remember the official time. It, it seemed like four and a half hours. I mean, they were both... 421. 421, man. It was just war is the word that comes to mind. They were absolutely battling. Uh, the two-all game in the fifth set, Edmund was serving at two-all. That single game alone lasted about 15 minutes. It seemed like Andujar had about 10 break points. Edmund had about 8 or 9 game points. Eventually, Andujar gets the break to go up 3-2, and you could just tell Edmund it, it was over, man, at that point. All she wrote, game, set, match, go shake hands, 6-2 in the fifth. But, man, that was that was a hell of a match from both guys, really. <laughs> devastating for me for Kyle and when he won that uh set 7-5 in the fourth I was like let's go I was like huge set for him uh because he was the more dominant player through the first two sets and that he lost that second set breaker in the way he did had to have hurt and yeah tough loss for Kyle Edmund who you know not as good at 29 at the slams as I'm sure he would have liked but moving on through the rest of the draw uh Gerasimov a winner over Harris Steb over Krajinovich Thompson over Sosa the cock himself Tanasi Kokonakis over Ivashka Verdasco a winner Pera a winner Paparin a winner Coppola a winner Sinego Berrettini Ooh, your boy Berrettini back on the winner's board Matty you feeling good about that one oh feeling very good about that against a tricky Richard Gasquet I love it uh, I'm gonna keep my eye on my boy Ber- Berrettini, I think he can make a run. You look at his portion of the draw, probably, you know, arguably the biggest. Oh, no, he's not. Oh, no, he is in that section of Tsitsipas where he was and where uh, RBA was. So, yeah, you could argue Berrettini the biggest winner of today's results simply by staying alive. Yep. But, again, running through the West of them, Schwartzman a winner today, Bublik a winner today, our boy Jan Leonard Struff a winner today, Bedene a winner today, Jills, Jamie McDonald, Simone a four-set winner over Fertangelo in a match that was going simultaneously with Tsitsipas Rublev and matching get quality for quality, minute for minute in terms of duration. Both of them four-cent matches that go over four hours. Uh, tough loss for Bjorn, but again, for Jill Simone, it's funny because he's now going to match up with Rublev, and you imagine two guys who got physically tested. Maybe it's lucky that they drew each other uh, because, you know, maybe they'll agree like, hey, we both can take IVs every two <laughs> changeovers. Is that fair? Uh, so, you know, levels the playing field a little bit. But the last match I wanted to talk about because you know, I, I called this match yesterday the Alex Gruskin special, a match I had circled as probably my favorite first-round match of the tournament. Hyun Chung versus Ernesto Escobedo. Chung, a 3-6-6-4-6-7-6-4-6-2 winner uh, in this one, really just physically outlasted Ernesto just showed that sort of baseline adeptness the ability to attack you move you side to side over the course of four hours that was you know so special about him in the early portions of last season but equally impressive in this one Ernesto Escobedo who met if you know it was he cracks the top 100 end of 2016 beginning of 2017 you think he's in it for the long haul suffers with injuries a lack of confidence And then today, even though he lost, I guess part A, I think he's playing the most confident tennis I've seen since that streak, 2016-2017, but B, 
you just forget how talented of a ball striker, how freaking hard Ernesto Escobedo hits every shot. Yeah, man. I mean, the way that I view this one, and I did watch a good bit of this one as well. I couldn't help myself since you circled it and told me to watch it. Um, you know, I was <laughs> give I, you homework. I was really impressed with both of these guys mm-hmm. because we haven't seen Chung at this level in a while. We, you know, we've talked about his injuries. We don't need to go over all that. And Escobedo, you know, he's struggled. You mentioned him cracking the top hundred a couple of years ago. You know, he's been playing challengers. Both of these guys really brought it. I thought their level was super good, um, and it was just great to see these two guys you know, just just go to battle. And that's really what it was. I mean, they were grinding it out. Chung, you mentioned, just was able to be a little bit more steady than Escobedo at the end of the match. But overall, man, I mean, my perspective, I'm happy for both these guys because I thought they both played very well. And I think if they can continue to play like that, you know, we know what they, they can both do. So I think it's exciting. For Escobedo, that he was the the player moving more per point, 38.9 feet uh, versus Chung's 36.9, that he, you know, a guy who has struggled with his first serve, he only made 53% of them, but he won 70% of those points, 58% of those second serve points, 19 aces against four double faults. In this era, his serve plus one, it's special. It's going to win him a lot of matches, and now that he looks more confident, you know, he creates 15 break chances for himself, only converts three of them, but still 15. That's very good. He took, you know, some of Chung's second serves. Good luck for Chung playing out that point. It was just a lights-out, smack-you, see-you-later return from Escobedo. All of those things that made him so special, so much fun to watch. Again, uh, if you had forgotten about them, now is the time to, you know, go back and look because he's on that sort of run. He deserved this wild card into the event, and despite losing, I'm sure he's coming out of this stretch confident and thinking he can really get himself in a good position for 2020. Uh, but that's really all of the men's matches today. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, Steve Johnson, they may be on court now, but if ju- you know, if just that. And so, yeah, it's early right now. Three all in the first set, although Kyrgios up 15-40 break points. I will check real quickly on the Sloan-Stevens match to see if it has ended. Let's look. Sloan-Stevens currently... Oh, Sloan-Stevens, a 6-3, 6-4 loser today to Kalinskaya. Now, we didn't get the chance to watch that match, but just your initial thoughts, Maddie. Yeah, it's it's rough, man. I mean, and, uh, brutal. It, it is, and to be honest, though, with with <laughs> with the way that Sloan has been playing recently, I can't say that I'm that shocked. I mean, really, her and Madison Keys. Now, I know Madison Keys just won a big tournament, uh, and we're not going to get into all this now. But th- <laughs> those t- compared to some of my other, you know, more favorite uh, American players. I just I am not that high on Sloan Stevens or Madison Keys right now, uh, so I can't say that I'm shocked by that loss. It's disappointing for sure, but it is what it is, man. I mean, Stevens just has not shown me anything recently uh, to give me any kind of confidence that she could have made a deep run here. I, I didn't predict that at all. And I'm sure on Sunday when we do our winners and losers from the first week, Sloan Stevens, another first-round loss, that's just... Again, her, talk about someone who did not have the 2019 she was looking for. But with that said, uh, in honor of Jamie, well, you know we're already way over his 30-minute mark. But uh, real quick, give me the matches you are watching on the men's and women's side for tomorrow. Yeah, I've definitely got a couple of them. Uh, if, if we start, <laughs> really, I'm shocked. <laughs> you know I do, man. Uh, if if we start on the men's side, I'm going to give you one here: uh, Jensen Brooksby against Nicholas Basilashvili. Uh, I just think that Brooksby, the way that he played in his first round match against Thomas Burdick, you know, he's into the second round now. And to get a seed, you know, obviously you're going to play a seed in the second round. I just, I feel like this is a really good opportunity. Basilashvili is a guy that, yes, he's the number 17 seed, but if you want to play somebody in the second round, no disrespect, I, I, I feel like Basilashvili is kind of that guy. And I think... Brooksby will have an opportunity to to definitely be in that match, you know, if not possibly win it, depending on how that goes. So I think that's one we got to keep an eye on. Um, other than that, uh, what was my other one here? My other match, oh, yeah, 
Born George in George. Yeah, sure. there yeah. It is. I mean, there that, it is. that was it, man. Obviously, Grigor being in the second round is a surprise to me. So the fact that he's in round two playing against Borna Chorich, who I always enjoy watching, that's just for me, it's must-see TV because I want to see if Grigor can back up that win over Seppi in the first round against a player like Chorich. I'm telling you right now, Gruskin, my answer would be no. I'm taking Chorich all the way, but I got to see it. I mean, I got to see it. We know how talented Grigor can be. Yeah, you know, would it su- surprise you to find out that this is going to be their first career professional uh, matchup? Yeah, that's a little surprising, isn't it? I agree. A little surprising. But yeah, I mean, on paper, neither's been playing that great as, as of late. Um, but you just have to imagine Chorich. Although, I don't know, man. It's going to be a fun one. I, we went through the Dimitrov reasons yesterday, so we can let that go. The only matches I would add on the men's side to yours, Garen Dimenauer, uh, for obvious reasons, us next-gen fans all over that one. Garen, a five-set survivor uh, yesterday against Eubanks or two days ago, whatever. Dimenauer, a guy a lot of people have penciled as getting, you know, making a deep run, maybe even a fourth round at this tournament. Um so, you know, he's probably the favorite, even though Garen's the seed, but that's going to be a really fun one. And then Opelka Kopfer. Can Riley Opelka follow up the emotional roller coaster that is beating a top 10 seed and beat a guy in Dominic Kopfer 109 in the world who he really should beat? And that's no disrespect to Kopfer. You know, both of them cracked interviews guests. I'm impartial because they were both kind enough to come on our show. Uh, but you, you can't imagine, given what Riley's done at Slams versus Kopfer, you know, Riley's the more experienced player in this matchup, which is crazy to say. But, he, you know, for him to make the sort of jump that we expect out of all of these young guys, and he's not at the level of a Medvedev or a Zverev in terms of what we expect for him at majors, but you got to start making third rounds. Put yourself in positions to make second weeks, and this is as good of a position as he could have hoped for in a second-round match. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm looking for Opelka to take a big step. I'm looking for him to win this match. Uh you know, fairly comfortably. I mean, could it go four or five sets? Yeah, I think it could. But at the end of the day, I think Opelka gets out of there in three or four, man. I really do. I, I, I would say the goal, no more than four sets. And yep. the only set you should lose is if Cope first steals a breaker. Correct. Yep. Yeah, I'm with completely you. Completely agree with you. Well, then let's move quickly to the women's side. Uh, obviously, I'm imagining Svitolina and Venus right at the top of your list. Nope, that's actually not where I was going to go. I've got a couple of other really? ones. That's that's not a bad... Venus, to me, at, right now, man, I just... I don't get as excited about watching her as I used to. I, I don't. I think Svitolina will probably take that match relatively comfortably unless, I mean, something's you know wrong with her, obviously. But I, I think if she shows up and plays, you know, her, her normal game, I think she will take Venus out. Um, the, the two that I'm going to be looking at, I'm going to go with some high seeds here to no surprise, but Serena and, and Katie McNally, right? I mean, that's going to be under the lights. Last match on Ash. Fans are going to be going nuts. I just, Serena played so well against Sharapova. Can she play that way again? I don't know, man. There's a different kind of pressure in this match, too, because McNally, you know, a young, up-and-coming American, Serena, the old veteran, I just think there's a little bit of a different dynamic surrounding this match than when Serena played uh, Maria the other night. So I'll be very interested to see how that one goes. And then my other one, I'm going to pick another American, but number two seed Ash Barty against Lauren Davis. Now, good pick. I mean, I think it's a decent pick. Obviously, Barty's a big favorite on paper. You know, I'm not picking up set alert here. I think Barty will get through, but Lauren Davis is tricky, man. I mean, she's she's a pest of a player, and I mean that positively. She's going to track down a lot of balls. She moves very well. It's not going to be easy for Ash Barty. I don't see this, you know, as like a 6-1-6-2 type match. If Barty wins, I think it could be, you know, two pretty tight sets, maybe even a third setter. So for the women's side, those would be the two matches that I'm, I'm going to be watching. I mentioned Svitolina, Venus, McNally, Serena as well. Uh, Swatik, Sevastova. I love young Iga Swatik's game. If you have not gotten the chance to check her out, I mean, she's along in that list of Anisimovas of the world. And just, all you know, I, I'm not going to go through it again with the Goths. You, you know who by now. Uh, it's a must-see matchup because I, I have Sevastova on very much upset alert. Um, also, Mukova versus C. We've seen great tennis from both of these players in 2019. 
And so just straight up in terms of quality, these are the matches to watch. But what an action-packed day for our listeners who don't know. There's some fun audio stuff behind the scenes as well. So we are finishing this podcast at 11.40 p.m. on Tuesday night. With that being said, Maddie, any final thoughts? Oh, man. I mean, what a first round, right? I mean, now we're at the point half the draw is gone. Half the players are gone on both the men's and women's side. It's crazy. You know, all of these days now over the next couple of weeks are just that the amount of tennis is going to is going to shrink, you know. So um, I think I think we both can, can say that we enjoyed the first round very much. Tons of upsets, lots of good five setters and, and things like that. So uh, it's been great so far. And I'm just I'm looking forward to the rest of the tournament, man. And look, we have till January 2020 till we have to do this again. But Maddie, I could not appreciate there's no one I'd rather go through these first two days, 64 matches each day, 128 matches in total. No one I'd rather do these two podcasts with than you. So thank you for sticking with me through it all. Always, man. You know it. Likewise. Yeah, of course. And the two other people we have to thank are super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who, as always, have an editing job to do. If you missed any of the U.S. Open, and honestly, with all of the action that's been going on, how couldn't you have? Be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, the mini-break podcast going every day through the U.S. Open. I think we're even going to try and do weekends, so seriously, be on the lookout for that. We'll try and shorten these episodes as there are less matches going throughout the week, but you know, this will be the daily podcast where you get your updates. You know the deal. Biggest storylines, results, controversies. Look for a midweek GSP or a mid-slam, I should say. Look at for at the beginning of next week on our winners and losers from week one. For more immediate updates, you know the deal by now. Follow us, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, at Cracked Rackets. Uh, again, like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast, and all of the wonderful podcasts on the newly formed Tennis Channel Podcast Network. But with that being said, for our lovely super producers, Max Fligner, Daniel Westoff, for the best co-host a guy could ask for during a 128-match over two-day streak, Matt the Cracks the Koyak, and for our entire team at Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Matty, what do we tell our listeners? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>